You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a monthly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers throughout the entire city, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's Jump in Our series on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. held via Zoom webinar or in person at our office. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This episode features a discussion with Stephen Aravello, president of Axel Capital Group, to talk about commercial rehab financing and how it differs from lending for residential properties. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Um, so yeah, that's my, my little short intro. Now we're going to jump into our speaker tonight. His name is Stephen Aravello, and he is the president of Axel Capital Group, and they specialize in commercial projects and, and sort of larger level of real estate development that I think we're familiar at Jumpstart and maybe that you might be familiar from the training program. Uh, but he's a, an expert in this topic, and I'm really looking forward to hearing him from him tonight. I'll, uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but thanks so much, Stephen, for joining us, and, and thanks for being here. Certainly, Derek. Thank you. Thank you so much for the kind words, and I hope to uh, live up to your expectations. Uh, <laughs> well, so so just a, a background for for those who don't know Stephen. He uh, also spoke during our Jumpstart 2.0 program, uh, which was I want to say, man, that was almost probably two years ago now. It was a little a little pilot project we had at Jumpstart to see if we could uh, develop a training program for commercial real estate developers and and people who are you know moving out of that world of residential real estate and and starting to take on bigger mixed use or commercial only projects. Um, and Stephen shared a wealth of knowledge to sort of a, a higher tier of, of experienced developers. So people who, you know, had completed, I think it was at least 10 projects was the requirement to be in that program. Um, so we, we definitely spoke on this topic before, but I think it was a lot higher level and, and maybe a little bit more um, conversational than, than your presentation will be tonight. But um, that, that's our topic tonight, which is commercial rehab financing. So again, it's it's the that making that leap from a residential rehab to a bigger commercial new construction or or a project that basically exceeds what we teach and are able to lend at Jumpstart, um, lend to at Jumpstart. So Stephen, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more and, sure. uh, and let us know really what that difference is about residential and commercial real estate? Sure will, sure will. I'll give you a little background. Uh, first of all, I don't, can they see my screen? So yep. I'm not really sitting in green. <laughs> uh, this is a picture from uh, from a trip uh, my wife and I took in uh, a couple months ago. We actually did a cruise, which was great. And I'm sure when you guys, if you haven't done any cruises, you're probably uh, 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 anxious to get out there. Cruising is great. It was my first one. So I highly recommend it. Do the Mediterranean. So I'm sitting in Philadelphia. I am a long, uh, lifelong Philadelphian. And uh, as Derek mentioned, I own a firm called Excel Capital Group. We are commercial loan brokers. We specifically finance commercial real estate projects, whether it's development or rehab or uh, renovation, any of that stuff. Um, I've been a commercial lender back in the day, Um, worked for a couple of banks, uh, lending money and, you know, made the move into uh, brokering uh, probably 15, 20 years ago. 
I also have done some real estate development, so I and, and some rehab. So I, I have a hat, you know, I can wear my rehab hat. I'm going to try to, you know, put myself in the shoes of the folks that are on the on the call tonight. Um, and to Derek's point, uh, I'll keep it as conversational as possible. Um, I know we've got varied levels of folks <clears throat> on on the call, and uh, if something might seem too basic or a little too advanced, uh, bear with us. We'll get to the whole spectrum, hopefully. And um, if there are questions, we want this to be interactive. So uh, get them in the Q&A or the chat. Derek, however you like that yep. to happen. Yeah, uh, good, good good, point. Let me remind everybody, um, we have a Q&A function. So any questions you have for, for Stephen as we talk here, you know, just pop them in there and we'll uh, either ask them as they come up or, you know, save a bulk of them till the end in our, in our last 15 minutes or so. Um, so Stephen, why don't you get us started by kind of defining commercial real estate financing versus residential real estate financing, just to give you um, an, an easy out of explaining residential financing. That's what Jumpstart is. You know, we we finance single family duplexes, um, you know, row homes typically in Philadelphia that are for residential use only. Um, so Stephen, why don't you tell us the difference between financing for either of those, those categories? Sure will. sure will. There's a big difference. And by the way, I'm very familiar with the Jumpstart lending program. Folks, if you can take advantage of it, do it. They are very good lenders. Their rates are very, very good. And you know, I've, I've taken, taken advantage of it myself for some projects. So absolutely take, uh, take up, up on that because everything, once you, once you step into the commercial world of financing, everything is more expensive, and harder to do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify that. So, for example, in residential financing, uh, if you can get, let's say, you go and you get a mortgage, you can you can often do what looks like a residential mortgage uh, for a commercial project for for an investment project. Let's just say it's not commercial, right? You're gonna rehab a home. You can often get a 30 year fixed rate loan, just like you would on your home. Might be a little bit higher rate interest, but it's going to be high leverage and 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 long term. Commercial doesn't work that way. Once you step into uh, commercial rehab, and and I guess what I'll talk about now is let's talk about some home rehabs. Does that that make sense, uh, Derek? Yeah. So yeah. you buy a house and you, you you've maxed out on your your sort of FHA type finance financing or even your 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 jumpstart financing, and you've got to go to a commercial bank or commercial lender for for rehab. Uh, generally speaking, your rates are going to be much more expensive, right? So, and listen, we did this two years ago, just even the last year rates were great today. I mean, not so much, right? Historically speaking, rates are still very low and you got to keep that in, into perspective on the total cost of a whole job, but commercial financing will be more expensive than residential. There's just no two ways about it. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're seeing, and so on rehab lending, uh, rehab lenders out there will go to, sometimes they'll go to 70 or 80 or 90 or even higher percentage uh, of ARV, right? So this is generally the way the rehab lenders work. They work on a, on a percentage of loan to cost and also loan to value. So a rehab lender would look at a property, let's say you're going to buy something for a hundred grand and you're going to put a hundred thousand into it. You got a $200,000 project. The lender may give you 80% of that if at the end of the day, it's worth, you know, uh, 250, let's say, right? It's not the exact math, but this is the way the rehab lenders think about things. Yeah. Uh, and they may charge you seven, eight, nine, 10, 11%, depends, right? And before anybody gets shocked by that, what I would urge you to do is keep your rate in perspective, right? Keep it in the perspective of not just the rate itself, 
what it's going to cost you. I'm sure everybody knows how to do a pro forma. I know Jumpstart teaches us very well. And in your mm -hmm. pro forma, you've got a line item for financing costs, right? So if you hear 11% and it's going to take you a year to do the property, you know what? At, at 100,000 bucks, it's not necessarily $11,000, right? You're not going to draw all that money at once. You're going to draw it over time. You're going to pay interest as you draw it generally. Right. And, and Stephen, just to, to go back to what you said about it's not important to take in the other factors of the equation, not just the interest rate, because I, I know high interest rates are like the hot topic of discussion and everything, everything right now. Um, but I will say a lot of the people or, or a few of the people I should say I've spoke to recently have compared it to 18%, 19%, 25% interest rates they got in the 70s or 80s, I guess. Uh, and, and, and and it didn't <laughs> take me because it's because the properties were, you know, $10,000, right? For, for a well, single I, I didn't want to bring that up and show my age, but that's absolutely right. When I say they're historically low, I remember 20% interest rates. I remember that. And um, now it was a whole different world back then. You had inflation from gasoline. You had all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff going on. People can read into economic history. It's fun to do. But remember, it's not just the interest rate, right? Um, once you step into the commercial world, again, you're going to be dealing with a commercial lender and you're going to get to know your commercial lender. You, like If you're doing, you're doing residential mortgages through a residential mortgage broker, you never know really know who the lender is. You might know the broker, but you don't know the lender. When you're dealing with a rehab group or a spring garden lending or whoever's out there that's funding these deals, you're getting to know that lender. They're getting to know you. They're getting to know the project. So that's another thing that's a little bit different, right? You, you will get to know your lender. Your lender will underwrite it. They'll present it to a credit committee. And it's not just your project anymore. Now it's you, right? So they will look at you personally. They'll, they'll, they'll very likely ask you for a personal financial statement or a PFS. Again, if this is, uh, if this is rudimentary, bear with us. We'll get to, to, to the hard stuff too. But they'll ask you for documentation you might not otherwise be asked for. Uh, they may require the property be in an LLC right? A separate entity, separate than you and or your spouse or whoever owns this property. So, uh, and, and, and that in Philadelphia is a very interesting consideration. You need to think this through when you're buying properties. You probably don't want to buy them in your name anyway, uh, just to limit your liability. But from a financing standpoint, chances are you're going to have to put them in an LLC. And if you buy them in your name and then you have to transfer them to an LLC, you will pay transfer tax. Mm -hmm. Keep all these things in mind, right? So that's, so commercial probably needs to be in an LLC. And then I guess maybe uh, without getting too high level, I want to talk just a little bit about what is commercial versus residential. Well, any any property with four or more with more than four units, right? Up to four units can still be considered residential, but five units and anything that's not a house that people live in uh, is commercial. So a self storage facility, a warehouse, a retail store, you know, a, a, a commercial store. Uh, these are all commercial properties. Cool. Yeah, I, I think that's an important distinction to make because a lot of people think commercial must mean there's some business use to it or some, yeah. you know, other income generating uh, aspect of the unit. But once I, that, that's important distinction, I think, for jump starters, because they can use Jumpstart even for financing for a triplex or a quad. But as soon as it gets into that commercial territory and and is that by the city classification, too? That's just that's just lending. That's lending anywhere in the country has nothing to do with anything. It really has to do with the FHA. It's what the yeah. FHA will find. So FHA mortgages will finance up to four units. And they're yeah. those really great mortgages that if you can get them from your loan broker, get gotcha. them. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's an industry-wide, you know, understood concept that 
anything bigger than four is commercial. Got that's it. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so that's a that's a uh, an important distinction. And by the way, if you're going to be in any of these different what are called asset classes, right? The financing will be different as well. So if you want to try to finance an office building today, forget about it. Office is dead, right? Unless you've got a lease in hand, um, which comes into play in underwriting. Uh, or if you're going to do a multifamily deal, let's say you got a 10 unit building in West Philly, that gets very, very attractive financing, relatively speaking. And mm -hmm. certainly compared to offices or something else that might not be as attractive as an asset class. Mm -hmm. um, as far as leverage goes, right? Uh, if you're used to getting 90% leverage on a, on a rehab loan, I mean, you might get it from the rehab lenders out there today. But again, the rates are going to be much higher and you're going to probably need to expect not to get the 90%. You're going to need to expect 70, 75. If you get 80, 85, you're on the good side. Um, and, and those lenders are out there, but you'll, you'll pay for it. And, and only with a caveat that, they, again, they look at the ARV, the after repair value, so that you've got to be within a certain threshold. They might you need you to be 70% of ARV. So when you do the math, you might not get all the money that you need. You're going to have to come out of your pocket, put more equity in it. And then your return on equity gets, you know, it gets affected by that. So this is, it's all math. You guys know how to do the math, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, so you, you said, use the word leverage where that, that means your LTC or your LTV, right? Which might be used in a residential deal. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And yep. LTC, LTV, loan to cost, loan to value, um, most of the times when you're talking about rehabbing an existing building, your mm -hmm. lender will talk to you about loan to cost. How much money will they give you compared to the cost? And that has to do with, and, you know, the, the correspondence of that is how much money are you coming out of pocket with? Mm -hmm. Your lenders will always want you to need you to come out of pocket. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, so in addition to these um, different characteristics of the building, you know, it's it's type of commercial use or um, the number of units and the, the location, all these things that play into the, the equation. How, how about the investment or the exit strategy that the the borrower is is looking at? So I'm, I'm just thinking of with the jumpstart loan, you know, when you go to apply, you choose buy and hold, meaning you're going to rehab and rent it out and refinance or buy and sell where you're just going to buy it, fix it up and pay off our loan using the proceeds from a sale is in commercial lending. Is it, there still those two buckets or is it, is it always one or the other? What, what are we looking great at? Great question. It's a great question. And you know, here's the good news folks. There are a lot of lenders that have come into this space in the last 10 years, right? So there, there's a range and Derek, to your point, Certain lenders, like the rehab lenders that I talk about that are going to give you 70, 80% loan to value, loan to cost, you know, based on the ARV, they're going to be a short-term lender. They're going to lend the money at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12%, and they're going to want it back in a year. So they are going to want an exit strategy. And your exit strategy is going to be, you're going to refinance with a permanent lender. That lender itself is not a permanent lender. They're a short-term lender. Who are your permanent lenders out there? You know, your commercial banks, your community banks, uh, Hyperion banks and Truist and, you know, all the banks that we all know, maybe, 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 maybe Wells Fargo. It, it depends. Um, so in answer to your question, you have at the one end of the spectrum, you have the rehab lenders that only want to put money out there short term. But you've also got certain lenders that will lend you the money on the construction basis, right, the rehab basis. And then it will it will roll into what's called a, per, a mini perm or permanent loan. 
Generally speaking, the banks that are doing that sort of rehab plus permanent are not going to give you the leverage that the rehab lenders will. Not to be too complicated about it, but th- you know, there's a give and take. Yeah, and, and what, community why, banks, you know, want to give you a permanent loan as well. They're going to give you less leverage. They're going to want you to have more skin in the game. And is that because they're taking like the reason they'll give you less leverage is because they're taking on more risk, assuming that you're going to do the construction and and get it to an end product like that. Yes. They, they, well, the reason they'll give you less leverage is because they want to take on less risk. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, we'll, we'll and, and it's more risky to finance a project that hasn't been built yet than one that is finished. Right. The most yeah. risky project that is, is is a ground up out of the ground development because yeah. who knows what's going to happen. The yeah. second most risky is a rehab project because yeah. again, there's there's no guarantee on how you're going to contractors are going to work. There's no guarantee to whether you're going to find things that are contingent, right? You're going to find things that are going to increase the, the cost of the project. So yeah, so it's a more risky uh, proposition in terms of the rehab. And to your point, exactly, Derek. Okay, great. So I, I, I want to ask you next about um, return on investment and, and that term that for Drumstart, and, and again, I'm kind of using our, ourselves as the uh, as the example of a residential lender, which I think is, is useful. Um, but when we're looking at a, a deal, you know, we want to make sure that the net margin is 20% or that the debt coverage ratio is 1.25. We're not as concerned about the borrower's return on investment, right? Because we, we want them to get experience. We're into getting their, their first project under the belt, build some equity and, and kind of go through this process without thinking about sort of the the fact, the bottom line, right? right. Um, but the, you know, in a commercial deal, like you said, there's a lot more risk, like there are t- typically much larger project sizes and and it matters more, right? For the, the borrower, what their return on investment is than I would say with a smaller project. Um, it, that's a good point. It's a good point. Commercial lenders will look at your return on investment. They, in other words, they will want there to be a return on investment. They'll want the developer to be experienced enough to show that they can make money on projects. They don't want to, it's the chicken and egg at this. They don't want to fund first time investors, right? Which is why it's such a great resource to have a jumpstart available, right? They don't, you know, a commercial guy is not going to do your, now I'll say that, but I'll also caveat it because again, the commercial folks look at a whole number of factors, right? Including, your personal net worth, right? You may hear uh, some. You may hear the lender ask you, "Well, what's your net worth and liquidity?" Right? And what they're asking you is, "Gee, if this loan goes bad, how am I going to get my money back? What do you, Mister Borrower, Mister Mister and Ms. Borrower, have that's going? You're going to be able to sell or give me cash to get me out of this loan?" Mm-hmm. And that's you know that's a consideration that brings up another concept, which is personal guarantees. Yeah. But before we get to personal guarantee, just return on investment, is there like a percentage threshold you, you would advise people against or is it kind uh, of depending on the deal? There's not. I mean, there, there, that's a, another really good question. Um, here, here's what I would say to that. The more equity you have in a project, the less important that becomes mm-hmm. from a lender's standpoint. So there, I've never, as a commercial lender, there's never sort of been a threshold. Hey, we want to see a 20% ROI on this. It's really never been a conversation. It's more about, does the project make sense? Is it feasible? Is what you're saying, do, do the comps bear out what you're saying, right? What you think you're going to get for this property when you're done with it? And frankly, as long as we get our money back, 
we don't really care about what goes in your pocket, right? Okay. So let's go back to personal guarantee. Yeah. What, this may, might be new to some yeah. borrowers, right? So PG, personal guarantee, um, what it is, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, and it may shock you as a borrower, but a commercial lender will generally ask you for a personal guarantee. What does that mean? It means you sign a document that says, if I don't pay this loan back, you lender can come after my personal assets to mm -hmm. claim, you know, to, to, to sell them and to get your money back. Mm -hmm. And that sounds scary. Um, and it's important, right? It doesn't need to be scary, but it's very important. What, what it comes down to is, is the bank or the lender is asking you to put, you, they're saying, hey, listen, if you're not going to personally guarantee this loan, why would I even make it, right? What, I'll have some let, you know, borrowers come to me and say, I'm not giving a personal guarantee. Well, then you're not getting the money, right? You're just not getting, it's not happening, especially at this level. Right. It's like a base baseline of confidence you need to, to show, right? Baseline of confidence. And, and the fact of the matter is if you're dealing with banks and not these rehab lenders, now, again, some of the rehab lenders will do a non-recourse loan and that non-recourse means no personal guarantee, but they're charging you. They're charging you points or charging you a high interest rate. Uh, when, 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 when you folks grow up to be big developers, maybe some of you are, you'll conversely, you'll be able to, to, to garner non-recourse loans. You just, it, once you've got a big enough balance sheet, you can go to a bank and say, listen, you know, I'll give you a limited personal guarantee or I'll pledge some asset, but I'm not going to give you what's called a blanket personal guarantee. But that doesn't work in this market. You're talking about, you know, under, you know, tens of millions of dollars of project cost. You, it just doesn't exist out there. You've got you to make sure that you're going to be okay with your personal guarantee. And if you're married, you got to talk to your spouse about it too, because generally it covers all that. It's not going to cover the home. They're not going to come after your house, right? But they could come after your stocks or if you've got other real estate properties that come after that. But when I say come after it, it's only to the extent of the money that you borrow. I right? keep that in mind. So again, it sounds scary, I don't mean it to be scary, but it's important and it's it's a factor of life in commercial yep. financing. Yep. Yeah, great. Um, okay, so uh, real quick before I move on, I want to just remind everybody that we do have a Q&A function. So I haven't seen any come in yet, but uh, please we, do. We're either doing a great job <laughs> or everybody's sleeping or eating dinner. Right, right. Well, usually how it goes is there will be none all the way through and then the last 15 minutes we get bombarded. <laughs> so, so I just want to remind everybody, ask your questions now um, so we can make sure we have time for them by eight o'clock. Um, yeah. the, the next thing I want to ask you about, and this uh, is the last, I guess, we'll talk about terminology and differences. You mentioned comps and and how, you know, those obviously need to support your ARV or your rental amounts. Um there's a, a term that I hear only used in commercial real estate development, which is cap rate. Um, and it's something that jump starters will try and reference to me. And I'm like, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I, I can't wrap my head around it at this point, but um, I, I do know it's out there and people want to understand it. And um, why don't you explain for us what that means um, and, sure. and how that kind of compares to the process of asking a realtor to pull three comps, right? You know, what, what's the difference there? Uh, that, that's a great question. Good line of questioning. And this is where we'll really get into some meat of it. So cap rate is also known as a capitalization rate. And it's essentially a cap rate is a mathematical formula. And, and what it does, cap rates generally represent the risk in the marketplace of a certain asset. So let me do a really simple one, right? And, and, and the way you get to a cap rate is you 
calculate your net operating income, right, from any property. So let's let's so what's net operating income? Well, it's your all of your rentals, less your vacancy, less your management, less all of your expenses, your taxes, your insurance, your reserves. You know, if you're paying the common electric in the hallways, you take that out. And basically it's what's left over after you run your building to pay either debt or to pay yourself. If you don't have any debt, you put it in your pocket, right? So you think about it like cash flow. NOI is very important. Um, uh, as an aside, a lot of people, if you're doing a, what's called a value add, you're buying something and it's got some sort of income in it, and you make a make a make a make an improvement to it, you increase the rate, the, the rentals, you improve your NOI. Okay, so your NOI is your net operating income. Basically, you divide that by a percentage, and the percentage it, it, here's where it gets not fuzzy, but this is where some judgment is involved, and it's also asset class related, and, mm -hmm. and cap rates are highly influenced by um, interest rates, right? They gen they're correlated, right? So as interest rates rise, cap rates generally rise. And the way it works is, let's say you've got $100,000 worth of NOI. Very simply, you use a 10 cap on it, right? And you say, okay, what's the value of this property? Well, I'm gonna cap it at a 10 cap. And that means your property is worth $100,000 divided by 0.1 or 10%, and it's a million dollar property. That's the value of the property. And commercial brokers do this all the time. And cap rates have the advantage of basically valuing not necessarily the property itself, the condition of the property. And, you know, whereas in a comp, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll look at the property, you'll see how many square feet, and how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms, and then you're going to make adjustments for it. And that's how you do a comp analysis. What you do with a cap rate is you just take the income stream and you divide it by the cap rate and that's your value. So what it does, it eliminates sort of these unique characteristics of each property, which we know every piece of real estate is unique, right? But it allows a comparison of similar types of property based on the income that they generate, not based on what they cost to build or what they would cost to replace. Mm -hmm. And that's a fundamental difference in commercial and mm -hmm. residential. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Stephen Aravello, president of Axel Capital Group, to talk about commercial rehab financing and how it differs from lending for residential properties. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. So, and I guess this is like a chicken or the egg question, but what comes first, like the cap rate or your 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 end price? So I guess what I'm asking is how how does one determine what cap rate they should use? Is it like by a neighborhood basis, or is it um, just something that you're gonna need a guess on? You know, what what's the not a guess? I mean, to a degree, it is a guess, right? But to a, to a large degree, it's an experiential factor. It's experience, right? So I happen to so I. I, maybe I know right now that mid-level multifamily buildings in Philadelphia proper are trading at a six cap. I, I you know, kind of know that, right? So right. Right. I see a, a building come along with an NOI that's X dollars and it's a mid-sized mid, mid building. I'll cap it at a six cap to see what the value might be. And if I could buy it for a lot less than that, then, then it gives me reason to look deeper into it, right? So mm -hmm. 
I mean, it is highly, it's not something that you're just going to make up. You're not, not going to make up a cap rate. Now, there's a lot of research out there. Marcus Millichap, for example, does a lot of research on cap rates. And, and, and I, would, I would suggest to everybody to go to Marcus Millichap's um, uh, website. You can sign up for the research for free. They'll send it to you, more stuff than you know how to deal with. And they break down cap rates by asset class, by, um, by area, and it's actually a if you're you know looking to get into the, the, the commercial real estate uh, knowledge base, uh, that's a, a very good place to start. Most of your big brokerages will have similar types of uh, types of information. So, Great. I just I just put the link to a Marcus Millichap in the in the chat there, so hopefully people can check it. Yeah. Out. Um, cap rates are confusing. They're, they're different for asset right? So so office cap rates are going to be really and here's something to keep your head around: a high cap rate. Uh, 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 is, is sort of decreases the value of the property, right? Low cap rates, high value. High cap right. rates, low value. So right. office right now is going to have relatively high cap rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense to cap, capitalize, to use cap rates on a single family property. It doesn't. Right. right. The market and, the, and the reason for that is because I guess there's, like the focus is more on that particular deal itself in that neighborhood on that property, right? Whereas a cap rate is taking into effect or, or taking into account a much larger like scope of of the property, right? That's exactly right. It takes okay. cap rates take into account the local marketplace. Whereas we all know you can be block by block and have serious differences in in, in single family homes, right? But if you've got a 40 unit apartment building on the corner, it's gonna be much like a 40 unit apartment building, maybe 20 blocks away, right? So it's, it, it does take into account a bigger marketplace. Great. Um, so my next question here is about the debt service coverage ratio, yeah. which is something that people are probably familiar with if they've gone through Jumpstart. You know, when we look at a, a buy and hold project, um, you know, we're taking, we're, we're so, so just for your reference, like we estimate 75% loan to value um, at, with a 7.5 interest rate at 25 years term. So that we, our spreadsheet, you know, auto calculates what the permanent bank loan might be and takes into account those, um, you know, like you said, your net operating income minus your, your expenses, and then spits out that DCR and we look for 1.25. And if we get an application that's 1.1, you know, we know they're not going to be making enough every year or every month per se to pay off their, their debt service. That's like the, the only context we have it for in, in Jumpstart. And, and, and we're always kind of analyzing it in that case where there's like a rent. And if you have two rents, that's better than one because it increases your debt coverage ratio. But our, our commercial loans, I, I mean, like you said, everyone is being either refinanced at the end of that year or, or you know, upfront with what would you call it? Like a mini perm loan? Yeah, or, yeah a mini perm. They'll, they'll roll into a mini perm. I'll, right. I'll pick up on that. I'll, yeah. I'll pick up on that. And, and I'll pick up on that because debt service coverage ratio is also very important at the commercial level. Mm-hmm. And um, the way a Jumpstart underwrites it is the way you're going to see most commercial lenders underwrite it on a permanent basis, right? It, DSCR only makes sense in a permanent basis. If you're doing a construction loan, there, there's really no there's really no interest in what the debt service coverage ratio is because it, you're not generating any income because it's a vacant property. Yeah. Well, uh, and I should probably say, I'll just dump this in there. Commercial loans are generally interest only, right? You're generally not paying principal during a construction loan. So I'll leave that off to the side. There may be questions about that. Yeah, great. So so just to, to clarify with, with the, 
So with a debt coverage ratio, obviously the rental amount and your your income is, is like half of that equation. So I want I, I, like the cap rate accounts for how you calculate the value of the property, right? Or the ARV. Um, how are, are commercial lenders still looking at like rental comps or or looking for you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah rental comps. And the common thread here uh, that you just mentioned is NOI, right? So remember, from the cap rate, you, I told you how to calculate an NOI. It's your income versus less all your expenses. I see. Not, not depreciation, right? On a debt service coverage ratio, same thing. Take your income, take out all your expenses. Now you got your NOI. Well, the NOI then goes to service the debt. So in that example, let's say you've got $100,000 of NOI. And then at a 25-year, 7.5% loan, um, you have you know, $75,000 of debt service, right? You've got to pay that your principal and interest, not your taxes and insurance at the escrow, but principal and interest. So your $100,000 over 75 is going to give you roughly a 1.25 debt service coverage ratio. Um, yeah. 1.25 is very common. Uh, mm -hmm. You, you'll find that, you know, 1.2 is also very common. You know, it'll vary on the lender depending upon the risk and what they request. So now debt service coverage ratio is very important. Um, lenders will look to from a reasonable, you know, like you're going to, you're going to have either, you're going to have a pro forma or you'll have an actual rent roll, right? A rent roll will be unambiguous, but if you've got a pro forma, then the lenders will look to rent comps, right? They'll look around the neighborhood and say, okay, well, this two-bedroom two unit, uh, two-bedroom, one-bath is going to rent for $18.50 a month. And, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And we, we, we believe that. So that's how they'll, they'll indicate, you know, that, that, that your uh, revenue line is, is, is reasonable. Gotcha. Gotcha. Great. Thank you. So, the, and this is my last line of questioning, and then we'll, we'll move towards the Q&A because I see some have, have been entered in there. Um, but I want to ask sort of like the, the process of working with a commercial lender versus a, a residential lender. Um, like for Jumpstart, and this may be because we have a, a training program that's focused on teaching first-time developers. Like we are very hands-on in the application process. You know, we we help you fill out your pro forma. Um, we answer a lot of questions about you know what you might be able to do to get the deal work, or or you know explaining why you know like a loan application is denied, not just denying it. Will people experience that same sort of thing with a commercial rehab, or are they expected to come to the table? with a pro forma built, with all these pieces figured out, like, is there any level of, um, like, like, what is the loan application process mm -hmm. like? Is it like you you send an email with with your entire uh, narrative of the project scripted out with with all the documents together, or do you go online and fill out a form and they contact you later? What, what, yeah. what do you typically see? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. I'm not going to blow my, blow my own horn here, but I will say that a, a broker, a loan broker, uh, can be very helpful. Now, a loan broker might charge a point or two, whatever, but they, a good loan broker will build the package for you, right? You, you can get caught up in providing too much information, not enough information, but listen, it's not something that you can't do on your own. If you've done a couple of rehabs, I'd say, you know, find a friendly lender and I'm happy to make recommendations to lenders. You know, some of the, uh, uh, there, there, there's a guy uh, named Joe Sweeney at First Trust Bank who is amazing, right? He loves to fund folks that are coming out of like where you, where you get them uh, uh, and, and where Jumpstart gets them and, and, and build them to the next level. Joe Sweeney's tremendous. I'll, I'll get you his contact details. Great. 
Yes, uh, I'm I, more than happy to include any info like that in an email to everybody tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, but, so there, there are good lenders out there and you don't have to have a broker, um, but you do have to have your house in order. You're going to need to have uh, at a minimum three years of personal tax returns. If you've got an LLC or multiple LLCs, all of those three years of tax returns, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to need a personal financial statement. And if you don't have one, you know, again, I can get a, I, you know, there, there, there's copies out there. We can get that. You're going to need a detailed construction budget. You're going to need to have your contractors in a row, at least to know who they are and to know generally what you're going to pay. Uh, and by the way, you won't be able to close on a loan until you have construction numbers, right? It's just, mm -hmm. you got to have it together. Mm -hmm. um, You'll need to show some experience, right? You're going to need to, you know, so keeping keeping a track of, you know, the projects you've worked on, how you started them, how you finished them, pictures, that kind of stuff. It's all good. You know, your experience matters a lot because at the end of the day, these lenders are not really lending on the project. They're lending on the borrower because they're betting that you're going to get it done. So there's a lot of integrity because mm -hmm. it's great to develop relationships directly with lenders. So answer your question, you're not gonna go onto a website. And, well, there are some websites out there that you'll, I think you'll find if, if, if people start um, sort of exploring them, I think a lot of them will, will be brokers that are sort of putting themselves out there as quote unquote lenders. Mm -hmm. And if you're having conversations with people, ask the question, are you a direct lender, right? A lot of commercial brokers, unfortunately, for whatever reason, they, they, they hide that fact, they try to hide that fact. <clears throat> They might call themselves a correspondent. They may say, oh yeah, we lend on some of our deals, but then we arrange capital for other folks. Look, if you're a broker, tell me you're a broker. I know what I'm dealing with. I've never had a problem. Okay, so that's, I'll just say that. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, great advice. And listen, uh, by, the, by the way, anybody can contact me at any point for anything, any questions at all. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not charging people. I, I do very little loan brokering these days because I'm, I'm lending money in, in, in different different. Uh, anyway, so yeah, happy to help any any and all jump starters. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be able to to send your contact out as well as any other links or resources yeah. you have for us. Um, and I'm sure people will, will come running with questions. Um, so yeah, yeah uh, thank you so much for for that great great back and forth. I think we covered a lot of information, but I do want to make sure we leave some time for Q and A. Yeah. I see yeah. the I see the questions coming in. <clears throat> yeah, so I'll uh, I'll start reading them off here, and and again, everybody, please do submit any questions you have for Stephen here, and we'll hope to get them answered. Uh, but one, one last time, thank you, Stephen. That was that was really excellent. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. All right, our first question here is is one for you, I guess, as a lender um, yeah. from Barry, and he asks, do you finance abandoned factories that would be subsidized by HUD, the, the Housing and Urban Development, to renovate and rent out in order for it to be used at, in low-income housing, say, a 50-unit building? That sounds like a Ken Weinstein project. <laughs> it does sound like a Ken Weinstein project, and, and it also sounds like a very, very difficult pro When I say difficult, not impossible, mm -hmm. but when you're talking about HUD financing, very hard to do your first HUD loan. And you're gonna need substantial uh, experience to get a HUD loan done. And, and by the way, I should also say this, generally in the commercial world, when you talk about net worth versus loan amount, if you're looking for a $5 million loan amount, you're gonna to need to have a net worth of about 5 million bucks. That's generally what lenders think about. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the possibilities of this uh, um, 
um, you know, you take a warehouse and renovate it, right? It's a great idea or a factory, renovate it. Uh, you're going to, you, you might have environmental issues that you're going to need to deal with. So there's a lot of pre-development work that needs to happen. I'm sure you've gone through, but let's just take it and assume it's, it's, it's a good project. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the question refers to HUD subsidizing the tenants or HUD subsidizing the financing because HUD does both. Okay. If you're talking about HUD subsidizing the financing again, very, very hard to get a HUD loan. Um, um, it's a construction loan. It's difficult to get a HUD permanent loan, but it's very difficult to get a HUD construction loan. It's sort of the best out there. It's like 40 year fixed term, low rate, 90% leverage. It's the holy grail of construction lending. But again, you're gonna need a very experienced developer to do, or to do it. Now, I will say this, you know, maybe I don't wanna shatter anybody's dreams, you can also partner with some. Like if you find a project like this and you tie it up with an agreement of sale, maybe go find a developer that has deeper pockets or that could partner with you on something like this, Barry, because great deal. And developers are deal junkies. They want to just make deals with everybody. So if you can go find a deal like this, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would encourage you to, to try to take it down, try to swing at it. But I wouldn't go into it with the expectation that you are going to get a HUD loan unless you've either done a HUD loan or have brought in a partner who has done a HUD loan. All right. Great answer. And and Barry did clarify HUD subsidizing the tenants. Um, okay. Which, yeah. Okay. Which, answer, which, so, which is, which is, which is probably either it's probably voucher based and, and that's a whole different line of questioning because HUD will can do what used to be known as section eight, right? Now they're called something else or they can subsidize the building itself. And now, and that process in itself has, uh, it's competitive. You go, it's RFP based generally, you go and compete for it with a bunch of other subsidized developers. And so it, 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 it's a great, listen, I just, uh, I, I'm friendly with a guy who just told, sold his portfolio for many, many millions of dollars and that's all he did. So great, uh, great line of, uh, uh, of thought, go get them. Got it, got it. All right. And uh, next question here comes from Adam. And he says, as someone, this is a great question, as someone with two to three residential projects under their belt, it seems like making the jump to a commercial project has a lot of challenges. How might you advise that some, or how might you advise someone to convince a lender to take a chance and finance the project, bringing more equity to the table, having geographic expertise and identified tenant? I, I think those all sound like great options, but, and I know you answered this, but, but specifically for Adam, you know, who's, who's gone through that rehab and, and refinance yeah. process a couple of times as a residential world, you know, how can they kind of make themselves stick out, I guess, from other yeah, people. It's a great question. And congratulations on that, on that, Adam. Um, yeah. I mean, what you said, all of the above, but I, I would also say that um, finding the project and, 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 and nailing it down, right. Putting together a pro forma on it, putting together a package on it, um, putting together, you know, uh, what your thought, you know, the market comps and why this thing is going to work. And then I would say, start to talk to some lenders. And again, here's where I can probably introduce people to lenders. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that, that, that's a good, that's a good position to be in. And uh, it's basically just 
do it. I mean, it is Nike. It's right. just, just do it. You know? right. And we, we tell drum starters, you know, that their first like five to 10 project, they're just going to have to like reapply for a loan and take another, do more walkthroughs, reapply for a loan, go through that process, repeating, repeating. So I think that, that advice, you know, from our perspective is the same, just, just go for it and, and, you know, paint your picture. And also temper your expectations, right? So, so remember, as you put your performer together, you're not going to get 90% leverage, you know, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to get a 30 year fixed financing. So, you know, it's sort of now, you know, and maybe I can help with this is, 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 is tempering, you know, the project to what the financing market will support, right? You want to go in there and be realistic. Right. Okay. Our next question here comes from Petra and they were asking, do you lend for loans or do you lend loans that are organized from a seller financing loan agreement? Yeah. Uh, so for, for somebody who might not be familiar with seller financing, if you could define that and then, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, great, great, um, great way to get, ca- <laughs> great way to do a deal without coming out of pocket any money. Get these. So, you, you, you know, uh, uh, Derek is selling a property for a hundred thousand bucks and I'm going to go to him and say, hey, Derek, I'll give you your hundred thousand dollars. Will you finance it for me? And you're going to do some research before you do. You're going to know that Derek doesn't have any mortgages on it. He has to pay off by selling it to you. Uh, or you might say to him, you know, I'll bring a $50,000. Will you hold the mortgage for 50? That's seller financing. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're going to find when you're talking to commercial lenders is they want you to, have, now it's not verboten, it's not forbidden, but they're going to need you to have some skin in the game. They're never going to let you do a deal without any money out of your pocket. So I know these, these concepts are great. Hey, do a deal without any money of your own. And I, I, I highly support them. If you can get them done, you can get a seller. You can convince a seller to hold back a mortgage for you and you don't have to come out of pocket. That's great. But commercial lenders generally don't let, allow that to happen. You've got to have some, some of your own skin in the game. Got it. Next question here comes from Lloyd and they say, I have a six unit property that I'm looking to refinance to a better interest rate. Mm. Should I refinance with a debt service or debt coverage service? Is that the right? Is it DSCR? I got yeah, it. You know what Lloyd means. Yeah. DCR, DCSR or a bank, even if the bank has a higher interest rate, what is a good interest rate? That's a simple question, but I think uh, <laughs> I, I, any answer is a good answer to that. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. And so my question is, and I'm assuming you have to refinance right now, because if you don't have to refinance today, you wouldn't, right? So today's rates are, they could be, I mean, so six units, I'm not sure what that works out to. I'm not sure if that's a million dollar property or 600,000. I just don't know. Right. And it does make a big difference. Once you get over a million dollar threshold of a loan amount, mm-hmm. you can go to what are called the agencies. You can go to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, not the same ones that you do your residentials, but uh, these are called agency loans. And um, those rates today, I think are in the mid fives to mid sixes, somewhere in that range. Banks are probably in the sixes to sevens. Um, so in terms of what's a good interest rate, the, the good interest rate is going to be the one that works for your project. And whereas a bank will give you a little bit lower leverage and a higher rate, an agency will give you a little higher rev- leverage and a higher rate. But again, they're going to want you to be a more sophisticated borrower. They're going to, they, they don't necessarily care about your local uh, uh, connections, your local um uh, you know, knowledge of the, uh, of the loan officer, right? Whereas your community banks, they're going to get to know you and they're going to bank on you a little more. Whereas the agencies are going to look more to the asset. And again, it's for a little bit more sophisticated investors. So um, 
you know, I'd say shop around and, 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 and figure out where your best rate's going to come from. And, and banks will be in the same range. But I would say talk to community banks, talk to Meridian Bank and First Trust Bank and, 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 uh, and Victory Bank. You know, just look up your local community banks and, and, and go hit those folks up uh, for commercial loans. Okay. Uh, Adam has another question here. He says, how about, and this is a little off topic, but I'm interested to hear your answer. How about what opportunities you see in the commercial market these days? So you mentioned um, some that have some pitfalls, like a, an office space or um, yeah. you know, what, what, what may be, but what, what would you say are the opportunity zones right now or are the, the potential projects that, that would look more attractive to a commercial lender than something great, like office building? Great question. Um, multi housing continues to be very very strong right and what and in in this in this country we have a real shortage of single family housing believe it or not which is why a lot of the multifamily projects are doing so well because people can't find homes that they can buy affordably mm -hmm. and and so that's also an issue right because you need to make as much money as you possible. So, you know, single family conversions in, in good neighborhoods are still a very, very good bet right now. And you can, whether you want to convert it, uh, when I say convert, I mean rehab, um, um, you know, whether you want to rehab it and hold it for yourself, you know, as, if the pro forma makes sense, or sometimes it just makes much more sense just to flip it out and sell it because the, the, the single family housing market is so hot today. Mm -hmm. uh, other areas that are very hot, uh, I'm not sure if anyone's doing this, but, um, uh, 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 you know, lot development, you know, uh, not much in the city, truthfully, because the, 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 the cost basis is so high. You know, I see guys, in, I'm in graduate hospital, I see folks buying, you know, parking lots and subdividing them and building four, $3 million homes. That's highly risky, right? Because that, that market, but lot developments, um, you know, in, what used to be the suburbs, right? People would buy a farm and they'd entitle it, meaning they get the zoning change, and then they would sell lots to home builders. Very strong market right now, um, but maybe maybe a little closer to home. I think again, the single. I think the single family market is very very strong. There's a lot of money out there to fund it uh, today uh, on on both the rehab and the bank loans. It's it's just a very good place to be. Gotcha. The other thing is what, what, one more thing. Uh, it, it, it was alluded to in one of the other questions. If you can find a commercial property and then have a, have a, have a tenant lined up that's going to give you a strong 10, 15, 20-year lease, that is very financeable. So if they want you to come in and make changes to the property, but they're, gonna, they're a strong tenant and they're going to lease it, also a, a really good place to start looking around for, for, for opportunities. Great. All right. That's a great answer. And, and it's it's exciting to hear you know even a commercial expert or a person who's lending and brokering commercial deals say that single family is where to be so so okay. that yeah that's great to hear and and i'm sure that provides a lot of encouragement to people because that's also great there, there's less barriers to entry in that sorts of development you know it seems it's especially when um you know like you said that there's such a desperate need for it here that things like finding a, a you know market rate rent or you know a home buyer at you know, a market rate shouldn't be that. I mean, I say this while I'm, I'm reviewing a bunch of loan applications with decreasing sales prices, but, but um, you know, oh, it's, good to, well, it's good decreasing sales prices. If you, uh, not, if you're financing them on the back end, but if you're yeah. buying, you know, mm -hmm. investment or rehabbing, that's, that's, that's good. Yep. Too. yep. So we'll, we'll talk after Steve. <laughs> sure thing, sure thing. Uh, but yeah, our next question here comes from Brian. He says, as the different marketplaces 
or are the different marketplaces have different cap rates? Where does one find it other than asking an appraiser? Okay, so I guess he's just asking how, where's a good place to look to start to understand cap Broker. rates in different neighborhoods? Brokers. Talk, talk to brokers. And again, Marcus and Millichap, I actually worked in Marcus and Millichap for a little while in the capital markets group. But the reason I keep bringing them up is they're a very investor based brokerage. Um, they're in that sort of smaller commercial world, maybe one to $10 million transaction size. They're, they do thousands and thousands and thousands of these transactions. Um, I know the guy here uh, uh, that runs the, the Philadelphia shop, his name is Sean Bucci. Um, you know, there's a bunch of brokers, uh, different asset classes. I would get to know some brokers, you know, seek, it, seek them out on LinkedIn. They'll talk to you. They'll give you the time of day for sure. All right. Great. Our next question here comes from Zipporah, and she asks, you mentioned commercial lending is for over four units. Could that be a combination of rent, rental apartments and storefronts in the same building? So Zipporah is talking about commercial mixed use. Yeah, yeah um, mixed use. Does sure. that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. You could have you could have a building that's got a storefront and four units, and that's commercial. Now, listen, I don't want to say, look, I could, I could finance a four-unit building with a commercial loan. What I'm saying is there's better options out there that are not commercial lenders. Right. So, so uh, okay. that's it. Damani, and this will be our last question here. Damani asks, when creating your operational costs and accounting for property tax in commercial real estate, how do you estimate this number? Really um, good, really good question. And you didn't ask the question, Damani, but also there's a, there's a, there's a tax abatement, right? So um, what you'll do is, I mean, you'll look at, you'll look at the current tax roll, and in Philadelphia, you will expect that after you buy it, that there will be a reassessment. And who knows, right? I mean, if you want to be cautious, you know, uh, in your in your pro forma, uh, I don't know, double the taxes in two years, right? Because that's not unusual in Philadelphia, right? We know that. But what I would say is, I would do a little deep dive into the into the local into the similar properties if you can. You can look at what the taxes, um, I think Atlas still shows you or, or, or the BRT still shows you the historical taxes. I think you can look at similar properties or you can see something that's been rehabbed and see how the taxes have gone. Um, uh, so, okay, yeah. you know, there, there is a calculation, right? There is a calculation that, you know, there's the assessed value and then they, they use the millage and they calculate it. So it's just some math. Okay, great. Um, thank you, Damani, for that question. That looks like all we got. So thank you again, Stephen, so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to ask you to please put your email in the chat, if you would, yeah, sure. uh, so that people have that before we go. I'll also send that out tomorrow, along with some other links and stuff that we mentioned in yeah. an email. Um, oh, hold on. Let me, uh, I'm going to copy that into. Okay. I'm gonna, please. No, you're good. I think I just have it set so you can only send messages to me. Got it. There we go. Okay. It's really been fun. Uh, great questions. And, uh, you know, I wish all of you super, super success. Uh, you're doing the right thing out there. Get out of your comfort zone and uh, and get stuff done. Oh, you have PHCD coming in. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks again, Stephen. And we'll, sure. we'll definitely have to get you in our office for an in-person event. We'll, we'll do I'll that. I'll do it. 
Um, Speaking of upcoming events, we got our Think Tank, which uh, if you haven't heard, it's our new event series, which is sort of like a um, half networking, half problem solving event that we have. And we have pizza and and drinks there as well. So that that always helps. (laughs) Um, But please do sign up for that if uh, if you got the you should have gotten the email invitation if you're attending this. So so definitely check that out and sign up. Um, RSVP is required. You know, we have a, a limited amount of space. So to make sure if you are going to go, you you sign up. Um, and then coming up later this month, we have another jump in R on the 30th with um, Odara Jabali Jeter. And they're going to talk about hiring a property management company because um, we haven't spoken about that in a little while. And then later on September, our next virtual jump in R is with, um, I believe her name's Rachel from PHDC. And she's going to talk to us about the Rental Improvement Fund, which is a new program that PHDC offers, um, you know, some some grants and, and other programs for people who are doing, you know, residential rehabs like, like Jumpstart supports. So register for all those at jumpstartgermantown.com slash events and uh, get them on your calendar. And uh, lastly, you can view all the recordings of our Jumpinars at jumpstartgermantown.com slash library. And uh, this one will be up probably tomorrow. And I'm also going to you know, do it as an audio only podcast version. So that will be available soon. And, uh, and you can check out everything that we've done in the past there, as well as sign up for anything coming up. All right. Thank you so much, Stephen. Really appreciate Very cool. it. You're welcome. And uh, say hello to Ken for me, will you? All right. Will do. Thanks, everybody, for coming and have a good night. See you. Bye now. And that concludes my discussion with Stephen Aravello, president of Axel Capital Group, about commercial rehab financing and how the lending process is different from residential properties. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM.